Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 137. I really thought we'd be previewing the Packers in the NFC Championship game. But we don't cry into our beer. No, 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 we do not, Larry McCarron. Are we going to cry in our beer? No! That's right. We're from Wisconsin. We're going to drink our beer, win, lose, or draw, right? Yeah, Saturday night on that Aaron Jones run, late in the game, I thought we were going to be spending today's podcast previewing the Packers in the NFC title game. Not to be. We have a lot to go over, though, despite the urgent emergency podcast on Wednesday. We will preview championship weekend. I think we're all rooting for the Lions, right? We'll talk a little bit about those two games. We do have a fun Packer memory 27 years ago today that we'll have some audio from. Matt LaFleur was busy on Wednesday. House cleaning day. We talked about Joe Barry on Wednesday. We'll continue that discussion. Joe Barry is interviewing with a division rival already, and the Packers are interviewing D coordinator candidates. We'll talk about the strength and conditioning coach getting canned as well this week and a new kicker already in Green Bay. We'll also go over Doc Rivers, finally, officially, the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks after Joe Prunty, the Prunt Dog, led them to a win on Wednesday. I don't think Prunt Dog works. I thought it would. I practiced it. As I said at that time, though, it didn't work. What are you going to do? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. But Prunty got the win on Wednesday, and it was a professional effort on Wednesday. They did look better on Wednesday. Or maybe we're just tricking ourselves into thinking they look better on Wednesday. Not sure if it's Prunty tonight or Doc Rivers for yet another matchup with the Cavaliers at Fiserv Forum, but the deal is done, and Doc is going to be here for a while, as we kind of talked about on the Wednesday podcast. We'll hit a little bit on college hoops. Badgers won this week. Marquette won this week. They both got games on the way. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's hard! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, Smash up the middle, face hit the center. Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win. Here's the snap. He looks, he throws, it's a interception. And there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in, backed away, it's stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle ball throws it down. Swinging, fly ball. by the way, to some new listeners we maybe have. We had our most single downloads in a day. Not our most downloads overall, but the Urgent Emergency podcast on Wednesday had the biggest single day download that we have had at Strange Brew HQ. You know what's an odd city? We get a breakdown of every area that it's downloaded. I'm not sure how accurate the numbers are ultimately. Because I work in Sheboygan, Sheboygan's Country B93 morning show there. Most of our downloads come from Sheboygan. Probably 90% come from Sheboygan or Milwaukee or however the zip codes or the geo-fencing, how that all works for our podcast numbers. Most of them come from Milwaukee and Sheboygan, Sheboygan, Milwaukee area. We've got a nice listenership in Madison. We've got some other spots around Wisconsin. All of a sudden, though, the third most downloads for this podcast is Des Moines, Iowa. (laughs) I don't know how that happened. But shout out to everybody in Iowa listening. Des Moines, Iowa. I got to play a little Brian Bulaga, right? Brian Bulaga, Iowa. 
I mean, I don't know. I was talking to my wife about that when she was asking me something about podcast numbers, like when are you going to make some money? When are you going to make some real money? I think that's how the conversation started. <laughs> and I delayed that and talked about all the podcast numbers are up. Don't worry. Soon we'll monetize it. Soon. It's the long game. This is the long game, the podcasting game. We've got to wait for other people to drop off. And if we just keep on clicking record every Monday and Friday, who knows what will happen? Probably nothing. But I was just surprised to see that. I was talking to her about that, and she said, do you know anybody in Iowa? And I said, I don't think so, unless somebody, maybe a college friend lives in Iowa and then passed it along to other people he or she knows. I have no clue how Des Moines, Iowa has become our third biggest market for this podcast, but thank you for that. By the way, if you are new to the podcast, if you could, we haven't mentioned this in a while, subscribe, download, but mainly rate. If you can give us a rating on Spotify or Apple or leave a review, I know that takes a little bit more time, but if you just want to click a number, one through five, I don't care. I'm not even joking when I say that both Spotify and Apple, they just aggregate it. So whatever you put any kind of rating on there, that's good. We prefer a five if you can, a five out of five, a four out of five, whatever. But any rating generates a little more interest because it shows that people are interacting with your podcast. And the algorithm thinks, ooh, somebody must like this because they're interacting with it. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's getting attention. So if you do have a chance at the beginning or end of the next podcast or right now, you pause right now, I'll give you a second. And then you give us uh, some kind of star rating, I'd really appreciate it. But Des Moines, Iowa, that was out of left field. Happy to be there. Happy to hang out with our fellow friends in Iowa. Yeah, we've got a lot to go over, a lot more than I thought we would today. Let's start with Bob Euchre celebrating a birthday today. It's a big day in Wisconsin sports history between this and the Packer Day in history we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. we got to start with some Harry Doyle. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Ball four. Ball eight. Low and Vaughn has walked the bases loaded on 12 straight pitches. Just an amazing character, Harry Doyle in the Major League franchise. I'm convinced that they just let Uke do what he would do in a normal broadcast. I've never seen an interview with Uke where he talks about whether or not they gave him a script. When you think of what the Brewers were doing in that era, in the late 80s, early 90s transition era, they had a couple maybe good years. 92 was kind of a good year. But overall, that team was on the decline. I wonder if they just said, do whatever comes to you. You've got a terrible franchise for the beginning part of this movie. So do whatever would come to you naturally. And it's possible they just filmed Uke doing Brewer games. I don't even know. He may have even known there were cameras there. He may have had no idea they were filming a movie and they just took what the actual audio was from those Brewer games. Legendary character in the Major League franchise. Of course, Mr. Belvedere, I got to be honest with you. I probably did when I was a kid. I can't remember one single episode of Mr. Belvedere. It was on for four or five years. It had pretty good ratings. I remember it vaguely being on TV once in a while, but I could not tell you a single episode. I'd have to go back and watch. I'm sure it's streamable somewhere. I would bet he's hilarious in that show. I just I can't remember any significant episode of Mr. Belvedere. Of course, though, the broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers and all the big moments over the years and a lot of the lower moments, I would argue that Uke has been better for this franchise for all the down moments. When this team is down 10 to nothing in a game or where they have decades at a time where they're not contenders, Uke was our salvation. You could still turn on the radio and Uke would give you some kind of crazy story from the 50s or 60s, give you some self-deprecating humor, make up a story about Bud Selig or Robin Yount. It was always the best when he had Robin in the booth. Every once in a while, I don't know if it's happened recently, 
when Robin Yount's in town to be honored for some reason, he'll hop in the booth with Uke, and you can just tell they're old drinking buddies. I mean, most of the Uke friends probably are, but those two guys in particular, they've been through some stuff together, some stuff they probably will take to their grave. But when they're on the air together, it's just gold because they love talking to each other. They feed off of each other. It's like listening to the two entertaining guys at the end of a tavern, at the end of a bar somewhere in, I don't know, Anago, Wisconsin or something where you just walk in, there's eight seats, and there's Robin and Euchre sitting at the end rehashing old stories from 40 years ago. Love it when those two are on the air. What I did today on the B93 Morning Show in honor of Euchre's 90th birthday, we played some of the big clips, the Braun home run in 2008, the Niger call in 2011, winning the play-in game or winning the game 163 at Wrigley. I tracked down the Cecil Cooper hit in the 82 pennant clinching game, then the actual call of them clinching the pennant in 1982. And you know what? We're going to smush them all together. We mixed it down. It's about 50 seconds long. Here is a Bob Euchre Mr. Baseball supercut on his 90th birthday of some of the biggest calls in Brewer history. The bases are loaded. The pitch to Cooper. Base hit left field a liner. One run home. Downing strong. Two pitch, ball lined to Yount, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Thousands of people streaming onto the field at County Stadium! It is absolute pandemonium! All right, here we go with Ryan Braun. The pitch to him, swing it and run! And the numbers. Morgan a smash up the middle. Base hit to center. Here comes Gomez. Around third. A throw and the Brewers win. The Brewers are moving on. On a base hit by Niger Morgan. He's being mobbed. Here it is. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there. That just gives you goosebumps, didn't it? And my wife and I were at two of those more? No, two. We didn't go to game 163. I did think about it because the train that morning would have been an easy ride. And what was fun about that game, game 163, if you listened to any of the radio or TV broadcast, it felt like it was 50-50 Brewers fans down there because of the momentum they had that year carrying that into Chicago. Normally, it's always Cubs fans, obnoxious, two-fisted, slopper Cubs fans that are at AmFam Field or Miller Park at the time. This time, it was Brewers fans invading Wrigley Field and getting drunk and acting obnoxious. Now it's our turn. And the Brewers go in there and get one of the biggest wins in franchise history. My wife and I were at the 2008 game where CC pitched the complete game and they beat the Cubs and they got in by the skin of their teeth after the Marlins beat the Mets later on that day. That Ryan Braun home run whizzed past us. I think my favorite part of that radio call 
is the crowd just drowns out a lot of the middle of it. That's how loud, and it was that loud. That was a day that I will never forget where CeCe got a standing ovation from the Miller Park crowd as he was coming in from his bullpen warm-up. That's how many people were in the stadium already. Typically at a Brewer game, you're sitting out in the parking lot until the third or fourth inning, and sometimes the attendants have to go and say, you have to either leave or go into the game. You have two options here. You can't stay here. You can't go. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. But that day, because of the stakes, everybody was in the park already, giving him a standing ovation, just walking from the bullpen to the dugout. That's how loud it was, though, in that moment when he connected, and it was a no-doubt shot. I love the crowd sound in that. Niger, obviously, the place was up for grabs, too, and I am not old enough to remember the 82 run. I've read a lot about it. I've heard a lot about it from people a little bit older than me. What a moment on that call. And I know this is one of those things where, yeah, people get older. It's like when you see on social media, I saw it on Tuesday, I think. Tiffany Amber Thiessen, Tiffany Thiessen, Kelly Kapowski. Ooh-wee, have mercy. She turned 50, and somebody had a post on Twitter of a picture of her on Saved by the Bell and a picture of her now. And then, of course, you have people hopping into the comments section, just blockheads, <laughs> talking about, oh, ooh, she looks a lot well, a lot different than she did back in the day. Well, yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> People get older. This is what happens when you go from being 18 in one picture to 50. She looks beautiful, by the way. But that's what happened. We all look worse every day. I look worse today than I looked yesterday. And I'll look worse tomorrow than I look today. That's a quote. Put that on a t-shirt. That's how aging works. It always blows me away how you see those pictures, those pictures from 30 years ago. Here's what the stars look like today. Oh, my God, they look terrible. Well, yeah. It's that's four decades in between there. It does kind of blow me away, though, when you hear how different he sounds on the calls from 82 than he does toward the end of those calls or the call or the sound he has that I remember for most of my life. Just interesting how it sounds a little bit different in both of those calls. But again, that's 25, 30 years in between, John. Euchre, 90 years old today. He's back this year, I think. Nobody's really said anything. Remember on the podcast when the season ended unceremoniously against the Diamondbacks? We played that radio call. I don't even want to find I think I have it saved on Twitter. It just bums me out. Where he sounded so sad at the end of it and said, well, that's it for this season, and we'll meet again down the road. I don't know if he always ends the year like that. It just had a feeling to it, and there was speculation then in the comment sections of, Is that it? Is he going to retire? It just had that finality feeling to it. But I think he's going to be back for his normal part-time schedule at this point. 90 years old and still doing it. Can we just get a World Series? They got Reese Hoskins now. They're clearly going to try to do something this year. You spent some money. You've got a pretty decent order. Somebody put on Twitter the lineup they're going to have now with Yelich and if Churio is on the opening day lineup and Reese Hoskins and some of the bats they have in the middle of the order. It doesn't look bad. Hoskins, you'd love one more bat. And maybe Tyler Black, the guy we talked about, maybe that up-and-coming third baseman is going to be the guy either early in the year or on opening day. And if he lives up to the billing that we're reading about him, then you are going to have a lineup that has some legitimacy to it. Just putting a real-life bat in the middle of that order like a Reese Hoskins with the 850 career OPS, it doesn't look that bad anymore, 1 through 8 or 1 through 7. It's got some legitimacy to it. I looked at that lineup, and then on the bottom, they put the starting rotation of Burns and Peralta and Wade Miley in the bullpen. You're still going to have Williams and Piumps in the back end, who was so good this year. Abner Uribe now, who at some point will be the closer, probably when Williams is traded or when he's done after two years. You've got him in the mix there, and the back end of the bullpen that was locked down last year, they're all back. I don't know. I saw that picture, and I thought, okay, okay. 
I can see it. I can see 90 wins, and then you just hope everything breaks right for you in the playoffs this time because that's worked in the past. Get Euchre a World Series championship call. Good Lord. We need it. I, we, it's They'll win it at some point. I am convinced, and I could be wrong. I probably will be. At some point in my lifetime, I believe they'll win the World Series. You just want Uke on that call so badly. Somehow make the magic happen this year, please. Mr. Baseball, 90 years old today. With that, we will talk about another day in history. 27 years ago today, the Green Bay Packers and the New England Patriots at the Superdome in Louisiana. I will never forget this day. I was 12 years old. There was a ton of snow in Sheboygan that day. I went to church, and everybody had their Packers stuff on. I think there was some kind of special exemption from God. God gave us a a special exemption that day to wear our Brett Favre and Dorsey Levins and Reggie White jerseys to church. Well, Reggie White, that was kind of connected, right, to be at church with a Reggie White jersey. That all made sense a little bit. I remember being there and seeing everybody walking up for communion wearing their Packers stuff. It didn't always happen, even though they were all Packers Sundays in fall. There was an energy about the people there. Everybody was excited. You could feel the anticipation in the air. My buddy Paul and I went to Valreth Bowl in Sheboygan and did a little sledding just to burn off some energy. And you were just kind of counting down the minutes to when the game was going to be on. And I have a picture my mom took of me. She was making hors d'oeuvres, I'm sure, just a whole mess of food. I have my cheese head on, which I think I wore the entire day. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why my brain is the way it is. Maybe some of the chemicals they used to make those cheese heads that I wore all the time in the 90s just seeped into my brain slowly. I had my cheese head on and my Don Beebe jersey on and my Packer blanket and my Packer icy mug. And you couldn't have convinced 12-year-old John that they weren't going to win that game. And they didn't. But at that moment, even in that picture, it just looks like I can't wait to celebrate. And then they win the game. And God, it was just such a fun moment with family and friends and enjoying that championship Here is a little bit of the Fox audio from that day with good old Pat Summerall and John Madden. I think we picked this up when Summerall talks about Desmond Howard winning the Super Bowl MVP. Officially, we've just been notified the most valuable player of the game is Desmond Howard. You were right. That's who you said you should have voted for. Or I should have voted for. You vote for who you want to. No, no, no. He was, you know, you know, he changed things around. I, I think they all did a great job. I think, I think Desmond Howard did, and he's an MVP, and he deserves it. You know who I voted for? Yep. From a guy who was almost cut in training camp, the first special team player ever to win the Super Bowl MVP title. And this is what it's all about: winning a championship. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. The greatest moment of your life. I'll tell you what, this video keeps going. I just want to see if I can cue it up to the spot. They show Favre's dad, I think, at the end of this, and it just kind of got me a little choked up. So. Brett Favre's dad, he has to be swelling up proud. Yeah. The final score here at Super Bowl 31 is the Green Bay Packers 35. 21. I love the summerall professionalism there. <laughs> Even though there's graphics everywhere, he just had been broadcasting for so long. You got to give the final score. You got to reiterate the final score. And then I wanted to play you this. I forgot about this. I put this on the Green and Gold Fan Zone page, the Facebook page today, with a picture of Holmgren in the locker room with the trophy. You know, they always came out with it. I don't know if they still do this. NFL Films, after the year was over, they'd come out for the Super Bowl champion team 
and they'd have an hour-long video where they'd mix it down and they'd go through the ups and downs of the year and show you highlights of every game, and it would culminate at the end with them winning the title and then some of the speeches you would see in the locker room. I think I'd probably burn that tape to the ground. That tape, you could probably blow on that tape and it just disappears like a dandelion now. I watched the hell out of that thing when we got it for whatever Christmas it was or my birthday maybe after they won the title. But I remember on that tape, the NFL Films tape, they played this clip of Holmgren in the locker room with the Lombardi Trophy. And I don't know if he had prepared this or it came to him in the moment, but it's just such a perfect 13-second. This is it. It was named after Vince Lombardi. You play in Green Bay. As important as it is to any other team and any other player, it means more to us. Let me hit it again. This is it. It was named after... Vince Lombardi, you play in Green Bay, as important as it is to any other team and any other player, it means more to us. It's just an awesome memory 27 years ago today. There's actually, I'm actually watching, and I wasn't even thinking about this this week. There is a YouTube video. I should just share this somehow. We should start some kind of social media page for this podcast, maybe. I don't know. Remember, we were going to do an email. We were going to do some kind of AOL.com, strangebrew69 at AOL.com. We were going to do some kind of place where you could give feedback or ask questions or we could do mailbags or whatever. I could put it on there. We should start some kind of page maybe. I mean, I've got my on-air John page, on-air John Team B93. That's my radio station page. But I was just – this was in a suggested video, YouTube video. I was watching some Packer highlight video, and then this was in the related video section because YouTube knows me better than anybody. God, YouTube, you get me. <laughs> you really understand me. And it's a 45-minute video, and it's just called America's Game, the 1996 Green Bay Packers Super Bowl 31. America's Game, the 1996 Green Bay Packers Super Bowl 31. This is a lot like those tapes I was just talking about. It's not that because I remember that tape to a T in every segment and every cut. It's similar to that, though, where they go through the entire year and the wide receiver injuries and Brett Favre and his rise to prominence and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of chronicles the years prior to and the growing pains they had to go through to get to that spot. And then it culminates with the Super Bowl at the end. It's been a pretty good video. I'm on minute 33 of 44 or 30. You want to watch a little and bit also together? Also, a little bit of a motivational tool because they all, everyone likes a little spending money. Uh, Holmgren was saying, or we're going to get an advertisement here. Holmgren was saying that was at the end of a segment where he talked about trying to keep the team focused during the two-week break before Super Bowl 31. And they were recounting a story where he had cash. Whatever the winners of the Super Bowl, you get a bonus. Everybody gets a bonus. Everybody on the team, whatever it is, 20000 30000 And in order to keep them focused for two weeks in a party city, he had them all early in week one come into the hotel conference room, and he had stacks of cash, whatever it was, $50,000, probably all ones to make it more impressive. And he had it under some kind of curtain, and all the players came in. They were kind of wondering what was under there. And he reveals it like a magician. <laughs> like a home because he had a top hat and a monocle on. And he revealed it, and it just got everybody's attention. Here's what you stand to win. If you can stay focused and win this game and take it to the limit here, everybody gets this amount of cash just to lock them in for the week. That's a good video. It is, again, America's Game, the 1996 Green Bay Packers, Super Bowl 31. It's posted by a young man named Daniel Butler with a PlayStation logo as his emoji or as, as, as his avatar. Anyway, let's talk about the current Packers. Matt LaFleur, this was a busy week. Remember on 
Monday, he talked about taking his time and not rushing into any decisions. And then Wednesday, he tried to solve every problem the Packers have in the span of four hours. We talked about Joe Barry and relieving him of his duties as the defensive coordinator. Joe Barry, by the way, is already interviewing for jobs. Is he going to get another defensive coordinator job? He is interviewing in Philly. I don't think for the D.C. job, Vic Fangio is going to end up there. But as a part of that staff, and he's also interviewing with the Chicago Bears. (laughs) Could we live in a world somehow where we get a Barry revenge game? No. Joe Barry, us signing a legitimate defensive coordinator and Joe Barry ending up in Chicago. What a week that would be. I guess he's interviewing in Chicago tomorrow. Everybody liked Joe Barry, by the way. All the different stories came out after we had the podcast on Wednesday. And I think that's true. Some of the guys I know that are beat reporters for this team, they say he's just well-liked. He's very fun in whatever the pre- and post-practice meetings are. I think LaFleur always talks on Monday and Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, the beat reporters get to sit down with a bunch of assistant coaches, and every week it was the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator, and they all enjoyed their time with Joe Barry. He was personable. He learned about their lives and whatever, their wives and their kids' names, and asked them about them all the time. It seems like the defensive players really liked him, too, as a person. Unfortunately, being a good person can't get you a top 10 defense. If those two things were congruous, then he would be fine, but they are not. Did I use that word right? Maybe. 50-50. Anyway, everybody seemed to love him. Nobody had anything bad to say. Everybody, I think, kind of felt bummed that he lost his job, even though that was the right move. They move on from Joe Barry. They are today... They are interviewing, I guess right now, Brandon Staley, the former Chargers head coach, who got that job because of the defenses he put together in his past. Although Staley runs a system very similar to Joe Barry. If you didn't love the zone schemes and being five or six yards off the ball, if they hire Brandon Staley, it's going to look a lot like that Joe Barry defense. Uh, Joe Barry was fired on Wednesday, and then they fired the strength and conditioning coach, Chris Gizzy. Many of you remember that name. Chris Gizzy was the guy in the on the Monday Night Football broadcast in September of 2001, the first primetime game after the September 11th attacks, which just happened to be at Lambeau Field, the Washington Redskins at the time, football team commanders. They were at Lambeau Field that night. And because all of the eyes of football fans and a lot of the nation were on that game, the first primetime game afterwards, I remember Al Michaels had a very emotional welcome into the booth moment as they got set for the game. And then you remember you saw number 57 special teamer linebacker for the Packers, Chris Gizzy, Air Force alum, because he went to Air Force and had the military connection. They wanted him to take the American flag out there like he was Hacksaw Jim Duggan, storm out of the south end zone with the American flag. And we all remember that. It's an indelible image from that night that gives you goosebumps. Speaking of goosebumps, like the Euchre calls, just thinking about him running end zone to end zone. And I'm pretty sure he ran like a 4-140. He had to be juiced up with adrenaline in that moment. And the crowd had their small American flags they were waving. That's where I remember Chris Gizzy from. So it begs the question, is Matt LaFleur siding with terrorist organizations? <laughs> it begs they really just call, you know, I'll take my answer off the air. I'll hang up and listen. No, I'm kidding, obviously. I feel bad, though, because we all remember that emotional moment. That one thing doesn't connect to the other. That moment doesn't connect to his time 20 years later as the strength and conditioning coach and all of the soft tissue and hamstring issues the Packers have had during his time there. 
So you can't keep a guy on because of this emotional moment that you remember in American sports history and in some cases American history and certainly Packer history. You don't get to keep your job indefinitely because of that. I just put that on the Green and Gold Fan Zone page, a picture of him with the American flag storming out of the end zone because when I hear that name, Chris Gizzy, that's the first thing I think of. They have had so many issues with those soft tissue injuries. I don't know. My wife's a PT. I talked to her about some of this stuff, and she said there's not a lot. You know, like, yeah, you'd love to prevent them. Just don't don't pull your hamstring. That's what you got to tell the guy. Hey, Christian Watson, don't do it. Just don't pull your hamstring. Are there certain stretches or exercises that they're not doing that another strength and coordinating coach would bring in? I don't know. Some of that just feels like it's a cost of doing business when you are these elite-level athletes playing at a million miles per hour. We'll see what direction they go in, and then we'll see if it gets better. Some of that could be happenstance, though, you know? If I were Chris Gizzy and next year they bring in a new strength coach and next year they don't have a bunch of hamstring injuries, of course, us as fans are going to say, well, they made the right move then. This was the right move. Well, some of that just could be coincidence. But they move on from Chris Gizzy, and then they also bring in a kicker. I forget his name. Pudlesny? Jack Pudlesny? He was the kicker at Georgia, walk-on kicker. He was 84% for Georgia, which is a lot better than the Anders Carlson 70%. Hashtag analytics. Carlson was 83% on field goals in his rookie year and, what, 85% on extra points? But based on the way the end of that game went against the Niners and all the misses he had in the weeks leading up to that, they had to bring in competition. We talked about that on the Monday podcast. I speculated, you know, more toward training camp. They'd bring in a veteran, somebody with a resume, and that could still be the case This has happened before where they have signed kickers right after the year or in spring, and then they don't even make it to training camp. It does signal to the fans, though, that they recognize LaFleur and and Gutekunst and the hierarchy. They all recognize that was an issue this year with all of the missed extra points and the big missed kick on Saturday, and they need to bring in competition for Andres Carlson. Whether or not Podlesny ends up being that guy in July and August in the preseason, they're going back and forth, and eventually they pick somebody or if he gets cut and they bring in a veteran, or they bring in a veteran in addition to this guy, at least it's saying, hey, we know this is a problem. We know the fans are frustrated about this. We're frustrated about it. We're going to bring in some competition for Andres Carlson heading into next year. This all happened in the span of four hours on Wednesday. DC out, strength coach out, kicker in. That all went down for Matt LaFleur in the middle of the week as they are fully into the offseason program now. So who are they going to get for D.C.? Most of the polls I see on Twitter and Facebook when they put a bunch of names up there like Brandon Staley or Rex Ryan or Mike Vrabel or Jim Leonard. Jim Leonard is the guy most people want. Not a shock when you appeal to the masses, and we all like Jim Leonard, and he seemed to be like the guy that LaFleur wanted before they hired Joe Barry three years ago. We all would love for the Wisconsin kid to get that kind of job and turn the defense around. He's the guy that leads most of those polls. I have just a theory I want to throw out there, though, and this may either be the smartest thing I've ever said or the dumbest thing I've ever said, and there's not going to be a whole lot of in-between. All right, now that's a tease. (laughs) Where are we going to side on whatever he's about to say? If you saw the Atlanta Falcons have hired Raheem Morris as their head coach, Bill Belichick, they moved on in New England, and it looked like, Of all of the head coaching jobs available, it looked like they were going to end up with Atlanta. Atlanta and Bill Belichick were going to come together on a deal, and he'd coach there for a couple of years. I did laugh when Atlanta posted on Twitter that they had interviewed him. That was one of their posts. We have interviewed Bill Belichick for the vacant head coaching position. Could you imagine that interview? 
and the Falcons personnel sitting down with Belichick across from them, and they ask one of the staple interview questions of, can you name a time, Bill, where you had your back up against the wall and you overcame a lot of adversity and you came out a winner when every metric was counting you out. Can you give us an example of that? Is there anything, is there a Super Bowl where that may have happened where you were able to really overcome? It looked like you were dead in the water, but you won the game. It seemed like that was going to be a natural fit, but they're hiring Raheem Morris. And the Titans have their new head coach, Callahan, who is, I think, Bill Callahan's son, the old Raiders coach and the old Raiders offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan. We know John Harbaugh. That was big news this week. He's heading to the Chargers. You assume he's going to see success there. The Chargers not being good just never made sense. Even before the Staley era, they always had talent with LT. Shout out LT. (laughs) Fantasy football champion. Two-time fantasy football champion for me. They had him and Rivers and just so many talented guys, and it felt like they were always 8-8 or 9-7 or 10-6 at best and out in the first or second round of the playoffs. And that still stands true. Herbert. Could be, should be maybe a top five, top six, top seven quarterback in the league. He just has not been able to take those steps. They've got talent up and down the field on both sides of the ball, and they just struggle to get to seven, eight, nine wins on the year. You would think Harbaugh is going to go in there with his offensive mind and a young quarterback and a lot of good young wide receivers. I don't know if they're going to stick with who's the running back who's always hurt. I can't remember. I don't know if they're going to stick with him or they'll move on to a younger running back. There's a lot of offensive talent there, and Harbaugh is a brilliant offensive mind. I don't know how much that wears on NFL players, his personality. I know he played in the NFL for many years, so he knows what it's like in NFL locker room. Of course, he coached the Niners for a couple of years. It just seems some of his personality and his U-rah-rah stuff fits more in college. I think that grates on NFL players after a couple of years. We'll see how he does in San Diego, in San Diego, in Los Angeles. They should be in San Diego with a young team there that has maybe more of a college feel to it. He'll have success there. They've got too much talent, and he's too good of an offensive mind not to. So he is in L.A. Titans have their guy. Panthers have their guy. Falcons have their guy. Are we going to end up in a situation where Bill Belichick does not have a job? Now, this has led to, on Packer Twitter, some Packer fans saying, look, if there's no head coaching jobs available, is there any world where this still brilliant defensive mind could come on to the Packer staff as the Packer defensive coordinator? I don't think Belichick is going to accept a coordinator job anywhere. I don't know how many. I'd have to Google right now. How many jobs are even still open? NFL head coaching jobs still open. There's got to be a few, right? Washington? I guess Seattle. Maybe he could go there. Yeah, the NFL.com just put this up two hours ago. No indication Bill Belichick is in the running for the two remaining head coaching jobs. It's got to be Washington and Seattle are the only two that are available still. Do you think Bill Belichick, he's a football guy, he feels like one of those, and I don't mean to be morbid here, he feels like one of those guys where if you take him out of the NFL, even though he has nothing to prove and he's going to go down as probably the greatest of all time, if you take him away from coaching, what's going to happen to him in six months? You know what I mean? Sometimes you see that with coaches as they're getting in their 70s and 80s and then they have to retire or are forced into retirement, and then six months later we've got a really sad headline. I'm not saying that's going to happen. But he's a football guy through and through. So is he football guy enough to accept a coordinator job somewhere? Or is he just going to say, I need a head coaching job or bust? It's on record that Bill Belichick wants to break Don Shula's all-time wins record. He needs 25 wins to get there. That's two really good years, more than likely three good years. He would need three good years on a team that can win games. If he goes to Washington, are they going to win eight, nine, ten games in the first two years to get him close in that third year? Maybe he doesn't want to go there because of that. 
every indication I've read is that he wants to keep coaching, A, but B, he wants to keep coaching to get to that record. So I don't think he's going to accept a coordinator job. Now let's just live in this world. Here we go. We're going to finally get to it here minutes later. What if I told you Bill Belichick comes to Green Bay as the head coach and he runs the defense. He's kind of the head coach defensive coordinator. Matt LaFleur, who I think we all like as a head coach, but sometimes some questionable time management, sometimes I think some motivational tactics that may not work, even though he squeezed about as much toothpaste out of the tube as you can get from this most recent team. He then is the offensive coordinator. Who he? What he has proven is that he can dial up plays. He is locked in with Jordan Love and the young wide receiver tight end room and Aaron Jones. The man was on an absolute heater for the last 10 or 11 games of the year, calling plays, getting that offense moving, and putting big points on the board. We trust him as the offensive coordinator play caller. What happens in that world? <laughs> I think they win. Don't you think they win a ring in two or three years? Bill Belichick with no GM responsibilities. It's clear he can still coach, and he can still coach up a defense. The biggest problem they had in New England was he had those GM duties, and he had two or three really bad drafts in a row and did not make smart decisions with free agents or trades beyond that. I really thought they'd just strip him of the GM duties and leave him in as the head coach because he can still coach, and his defenses still play, and he's beloved in New England, but for whatever reason, that just didn't work out. I just feel like he's not going to accept a coordinator job, but in a fictitious world, in the multiverse, I know there's a 0.0% chance this would happen. But how does that strike you? Is that the craziest, dumbest thing you've heard, or is it the smartest thing? Maybe not the smartest, but at least has a little bit of sense to it. Bill Belichick as the Green Bay Packer head coach, running the defense, leader of men. Matt LaFleur with less pressure, dialing up all of the best plays he can for a young up-and-coming offense. Tell me that would not win at least one ring in the next three years. With the talent they have on this team, with the talent that they can add to it now with the salary cap room, and if Goody stays on his heater of the last two drafts and has another great draft this spring to add to the talent they already have, I don't know. I just It just kind of came to me while I was sitting around yesterday and reading articles about Bill Belichick, and then I saw the Falcons news. That seemed to be the most likely destination for him, and now they're going in a different direction. If he doesn't accept a coordinator job, would you make that work? Matt LaFleur, no way, right? No way he would ever take a back seat when he's a head coach and you never want to move over and move down a notch. I just think that would work. Belichick head coach defense, Matt LaFleur offensive play caller. I don't know. Just tossing it out there. Other stuff from the Packers this week. There was the post from Jair. I had a couple people tag me on those posts. He had a series of three or four pictures on Instagram that seemed to have a goodbye tone to them where he said, thank you to the Packers and Lambeau Field and all the fans for a great six years. And he had a picture of himself waving to the Lambeau Field crowd and taking pictures outside of the practice fence with everybody. It had a tone of his time in Green Bay is done. I think it's just Jair being Jair. There's a little Manny Ramirez to Jair. That's just Manny being Manny. That's Jair being Jair. Maybe being a little dramatic. Maybe just trying to get a little bit of attention. When you look at his number, and it seems like now they've gotten on the same page after the suspension, and he toned things down a little bit. He toned things down for 24 hours, and then he was on TV, and he had a cigar in his ear and whatever. He's going to be back. The cap number is not that big. His contract is big. He is one of, if not still, the highest paid corner in the league. But his cap hit is not too much, and he's still in his prime by a wide margin. And still, when he's healthy, one of the best cornerbacks in the league. He played well when he came back. 
against Chicago, final game of the year, against Dallas, had one of the biggest plays of that game. And I thought he played pretty well against the Niners, like we talked about on the Monday podcast. It's not like that offense overwhelmed you. McCaffrey had a good game. Kittle was okay, but of that wide receiving core, I know Debo got hurt and didn't come back, but Brandon Ayuk had a 1,400-yard year. He was limited for the most part, made a couple of big catches, but a fairly quiet day by his standards. I thought he played well at the end of the year. Is his shoulder ever going to be the same? I don't know. It feels like he's been nursing that or having issues with that for two or three years since that big injury he had a few years ago. He's had some other nagging stuff. The contract, though, is not bad, and I just don't think you cut loose or trade guys that are in the prime of their career that are still top five, you would say, or top ten at least corner in the league when he's healthy and he seems to be reasonably healthy or seem to be getting there toward the end of the year. I don't know what indication they may have given him that his time is up. I just think that was Jair legitimately maybe saying thank you to Packer fans and then maybe trying to get a little attention too. I don't think he's going anywhere. We'll see, obviously, once we get closer to the draft. I would think if you're going to trade him, it's got to be before the draft. There were some fans out there reading into that saying, oh, is Jair, does he know he's gone? Is he? Did they have a discussion about trading him? I think he's going to be back. Let's talk about championship game weekend real quick, then we'll get to the Bucks. I want the Lions to win this. I know we have Lions fans. We've got a couple of diehard Lions fans that listen to the B93 morning show, and I asked them what their nerve level was this morning, if they were listening before 7 o'clock. And one of them, who I've gotten to know over the years, texted back, and he said, my guts are a dryer on tumble right now. (laughs) And it's only Friday. You've got, what, 48 or 50 hours to go? We played that audio from the 96 Super Bowl, the 97, technically, Super Bowl for the Packers, 96 season. And I remember some nerves there, but I was young. I was convinced the Packers were going to win. And at that point, I had known pretty much nothing but success in my Packer fandom lifetime. For some of these Lions fans that have been through the wars, to finally see a team win a division, to finally get a home playoff game and win a home playoff game, then win another home playoff game and be a game out of the Super Bowl has to feel like they're in a fever dream. And now that you get this close, you feel like even though you're the underdog, how many chances are we going to get to be here? You have to capitalize. I know from our experience as Packer fans over the years in these big playoff games, I know what they're talking about, but it's probably even more so for them because they've experienced 50 years of misery. And by the way, I am rooting for them on Sunday. I know most people are. There are a couple people I've talked about this on the podcast, I think on Wednesday or on Monday's podcast. There are some people in my life that say I can't root for a division rival. How can you root for the Lions? They're a division rival. And like I explained on the Monday or Wednesday, I forget which one podcast, Most of my life, the Packers have owned the Lions. I don't have a hate fire for the Lions that's anywhere close to that of the Bears or Vikings. Now, imagine if the Bears were in San Francisco this weekend or the Vikings were in San Francisco. That's a nightmare. I guess I'm just rooting for the over. I'd probably bet on the over and root for the over. That's probably all I'm rooting for there. The Lions, though, with what their fans have gone through and how long they've waited to be on this stage, how can you not root for them and how likable Dan Campbell is? When they hired Dan Campbell and he gave that kneecap speech at his introductory press conference, even in that moment I thought, God bless, I think I kind of like Dan Campbell. Am I going to end up liking the Lions, sort of, kind of, sort of? And here we are. But I understand the nerves level. I definitely I identify with it, but maybe maybe it's even a notch or two more than any that I've experienced in my life just because of how long it's been. I guess you would compare that to somebody in their 40s and 50s during those mid-90s runs that suffered through the late 60s, all of the 70s, all of the 80s, the early part of the 90s, just to get to that stage. And you don't know how long those runs are going to last. And it feels like in this era, it's even more different than it was back then where – You always felt like you were on a progressive ladder. All right, Packers had a winning season. 
All right, now they had a winning season. They won a playoff game. The next year, they'll win two playoff games. Then they'll win a divisional round game. Then they'll get to. It always just felt like you were on the escalator toward the Super Bowl. With the way player personnel works now and how quickly rosters are turned over, it's even more uncertain. Are you ever going to get back to this stage? It makes these moments even bigger, especially when you're a fan of a team that has been going nowhere for just about five decades or six decades or seven decades. I mean, they haven't won a championship since the mid-50s. I'm pulling for them. I don't think they're going to win, but I'm pulling for them. I don't know. We're not going to – I don't think we're doing picks today. I can't get a read on either of these games. The 2 o'clock game is Chiefs-Ravens. The Ravens taking on Patrick Mahomes and Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Can you imagine if the Chiefs win this game? For those out there that are annoyed with the Taylor Swift coverage, which I guess I don't really understand – In my mind, the only thing more annoying than the Taylor Swift coverage is the people complaining about the Taylor Swift coverage. Both of those groups are in the same area to me. But can you imagine if the Chiefs make the Super Bowl and you get two weeks of buildup with the Kelsey-Taylor storylines and all the coverage they would get during that game? I think the Ravens are going to do it, though, this year. The Chiefs... Even though they know how to win on this stage, obviously, and they've done it before, I just still don't think that offense is where we've seen it in years prior. The Ravens' defense was top three in scoring defense this year. It feels to me like it's Lamar Jackson's time to get back. Has he been to one? They didn't make one right with him. They won with Flacco 10 or 11 or 12 years ago. It feels like it's Lamar's time. He's going to win the MVP. It feels like it's his time to be in the big game and a chance to finally get a ring. I would go Ravens there. I would not take Ravens minus four, which is the line. That feels like it's going to be, I guess if I were going to bet, I'd take the Chiefs plus four or maybe buy a half a point and get that half point hook at plus four and a half. I would not take the Ravens minus four, though. I would take the money line, but there's not a lot of value there. And then the night game is Lions at Niners. Lions are seven and a half point underdogs. Maybe there's a teaser I could explore here with Chiefs plus 11 and Lions then plus 14 and a half. I am a little worried the Lions could get blown out. It does still feel like they're a young team that's never been on this stage, and the Niners, for the most part, have been. And like we discussed on Monday, there's a chance the Niners were just a bit rusty on Saturday, even though in my heart of hearts I want to say the Packers were the better team, and they were that day on the field. And I want to hope they're the better team going forward. The the Niners had not played their starters in three weeks. There had to be a little bit of a rust component there. And you see this often with Super Bowl contending teams. They have the bye. They haven't played their guys in a few weeks. They're a little rusty. They get a little lucky. They get outplayed, but they get the win. And then the next week, when you see a team like the Lions catching more than a touchdown, you bet on the Lions, and the Niners are up 21-3 to at halftime. I don't know that I'm touching anything on the spread there. I'm pulling for the Lions. I think it's going to be Niners-Ravens, and we'll get a rematch of whatever that Monday night game was in December where the Ravens put it on the Niners in that game. That was a Brock Purdy four-pick game in the rain in Baltimore, but I do think we're going to get a rematch of Ravens and Niners, and that would be a rematch of that Flacco Super Bowl many, many years ago. That is coming up on Sunday. Chiefs and Ravens, 2 o'clock, Lions and Niners at 5.30. Let's talk about the Bucks real quick. Joe Prunty, almost six years to the day, when he won as the interim coach in 2018, he did it again on Wednesday. They looked better on Wednesday. We're probably, as Bucks fans, and I saw it on Twitter too, they got the 10-point win against the Cavs, a Cavs team that beat them by 40 last week. Granted, no Giannis in that game where they lost last Wednesday on ESPN by 40 in Cleveland. They get the 10-point win. Everything just looked a little more professional. Is that the team waking up a bit because their head coach got fired? 
Is that Joe Prunty making a few tweaks? I saw some people on Bucks Twitter going a little overboard with Prunty and with the way they looked on Wednesday and getting the 10-point win and a Giannis triple-double and Dame looked pretty good and Middleton looked really good. The defense appeared to have more chemistry and more connected. You saw this uprising on Bucks Twitter of, well, why do we even need Doc Rivers? Just let Joe Prunty do it. He's been the career assistant. Now give him his chance. Okay, for one game... Maybe. Maybe for a week or two weeks. I think if you keep Joe Prunty, the same thing happens that happened in 2017. He had a couple wins in 2017, too, 2017, 2018. And then they tailed off after a few weeks. They did get in the playoffs. They got Boston to Game 7 in a first-round matchup before losing that game. We're maybe over-investing in Prunty stock after Wednesday's game, I would say. But you did see a lot of fans saying, why not just give Joe Prunty the job? He seems like a really likable person. His post game was very likable where he talked about his history as an assistant coach and making sure he had the guys ready for this game and he's not sure what's going to happen for the remainder of the week. And he basically said, as long as they tell me I'm coaching this team, I'll coach this team. They told me today, Wednesday, you're coaching the team tonight and that was my job to get them ready. Did Joe Prunty fix all of the scheme issues with Adrian Griffin in the span of 18 hours? Probably not. Did the team play a little bit harder because of the circumstances of the week? Probably. Were they playing for Joe Prunty because they like him? I would guess that's a part of it, too. They did get the 10-point win on Wednesday. They are 31-13 and now on the season. Doc Rivers is official. As we speculated about on the Urgent Emergency podcast, I'm guessing they had to do a few cursory interviews, and then they had to work out a deal for Doc that was going to pay him a lot of money over a longer period of time. At no point was Doc going to accept the job here just to finish out the remainder of this year and see what happens. He's got too long of a resume. He's got the ring, even though it happened a long time ago. There's no way that was going to be the way it goes. I did not see him getting the deal that he got, though. He is going to be the coach of this team until 2026-27, the remainder of this year, and then three more years after that, and he is going to get paid, it sounds like, $40 million. Thank you, Jimmy Haslam. When Jimmy Haslam came in, the Cleveland Browns owner, to become the new co-owner with Wes Edens after Lazary sold his stake a year ago, we were all a little nervous because of the history with Haslam and the Browns. But one thing we talked about when Haslam came in was he has some Scrooge McDuck bucks. He has a money vault, and he does the backstroke in a gold coin pool every night. He has way more money than either Edens or Lazary. And that helps you when you've got a team that's well into the luxury tax, and now you've got a team that is paying not one, not two. I feel like LeBron, not one, not two, not three. They are paying three head coaches now for this season, and they will be paying three head coaches for the next three seasons. This year they are paying Bud $5 million. They are paying Adrian Griffin $4 million, which even though we talked about how we feel for Adrian Griffin, I don't know how hard I really feel bad for him. Based on the way they looked on the floor, and now he just gets to go to the Caribbean and soak up $4 million this year and $4 million next year and $4 million the year after that. I'm not, I don't think I'm shedding any tears there anymore. They're paying Bud 5, they're paying AG 4, and they're going to pay Doc upward of 6 or 7 just for this year and then the next two years after that. Say what you want, and we said a lot of nice stuff about Herb Cole, and rightfully so. He is a legend, an icon, put a statue in front of Pfizer for him in honor of him. There's no way we even have a team without him. This would not have happened in the Herb Cole regime. This probably wouldn't have happened if it was still at Lazary and just Edens and you didn't have the Jimmy Haslam money backing you up. I think I read somewhere he's still paying some Browns coaches too, and he's paying Stefanski. I think that there's a possibility Jimmy Haslam is paying five to six coaches between his football team and his basketball team this year. Doc is locked in, though, now until 2026-27, unless they fire him and bring in a fourth coach they'll have to pay. 
Is he coaching tonight? I don't know. Let me go and see if I can find Eric Name's Twitter here real quick to see if they have any kind of announcement on it. John Horst was bullish on Wednesday night when they had the press conference. He just gave you a word salad, basically, which is this basically this podcast, too. And he said, we're not going to talk about Doc. And he just talked about Adrian Griffin. And he talked about how the players responded. And he, he right away on Wednesday said, we are not talking about Doc Rivers. There was some logistical reason for that, I am certain. Well, now that he is the guy, I don't know if he's going to be on the floor tonight right away or they're going to join next week. Let's just see if we have anything. Oh, we've got a bunch of Bucks news. Doc Rivers is hosting or hiring longtime assistant Rex Calamian on his coaching staff. I'd love to see them keep Prunty. Oh, Dave Yeager is going to join him too. He was a former assistant coach as well. Anyway, I'm not sure if it's going to be Doc tonight or Prunty's going to get one more game and then they'll move on to the next week where Doc Rivers takes over. But Doc is the guy, and now we find out if Doc can do what he's done in his career, and that is manage some egos, be a professional, install two professional systems, building on maybe what we saw Wednesday with Prunty, who's a longtime NBA guy and who probably did make a few tweaks before Wednesday's game. Now we see if Rivers can get back on the championship stage. One thing I will say, the knock on Doc, like we talked about on Wednesday, is that he has not won in the playoffs or gotten past the second round in many, many, many years. And he has blown a ton of 3-1 and 3-2 series leads. Here's what I'll say, though. Even though the rosters he was coaching were loaded, he has not had a guy like Giannis since Kevin Garnett, since that Boston team that did win a title and made their way back to the finals two years later and lost in seven to Kobe and the Lakers. Giannis has done it. When you look back at Doc's time with Chris Paul. Chris Paul notoriously has not won a title and has not been big in the big moments. Last year, Joel Embiid and James Harden, those guys notoriously have not come up big in big moments. So while the rosters that Doc was in charge of had a ton of talent and probably should have gone further than they did, he has not had a team like this team that has winners on it. Chris Middleton has already won a ring. Giannis has already won a ring. He scored 50 in the biggest game of his life and hit all but one free throw that day. So it's not like you've got the Hardens and the Embiid's and the Chris Pauls of the world that have just never been able to get over the top. And yeah, Doc is responsible for some of that, but he has not had a killer like he has with Giannis and Dame to some extent, even though Dame has not been to a finals. He's got guys on this roster that have been to the mountaintop and know what it takes to get there. That may be a different dynamic for Doc than we saw with his time in Philly or his time with the Clippers. This is going to be more reminiscent, I think, of his time in Boston, and that is a run where he made two finals and won a ring in 2008. We'll see if Doc is on the floor tonight. Real quick, some college hoops. Badgers beat Minnesota tight one at the barn earlier in the week. Had to hang on. 61-59. Minnesota executed at the end of that game the perfect make the first free throw, purposefully miss the second, get the rebound, and get a good look. And that look could have tied the game. It was a misfire, though, mid-range. Looked like it was going to go in off the backboard. Badgers escape with a 61-59 win at one of the most destitute arenas in all of college basketball. With that win, they are 15-4, and 7-1 in the Big Ten. They're on the floor tonight. They've got Michigan State. This is not Michigan State that we've known from many, many years now with Tom Izzo. Not to say that they are not going to get it together like they always do in March. 
Michigan State unranked. They are 12-7, and 4-4 four and four in the Big Ten. They are at Cole, the Cole Center tonight. It's another Friday night game, 7 o'clock tip time on FS1. Marquette's won three in a row. They seem to be bouncing back. They beat DePaul, winless DePaul Wednesday on the road. They are in action tomorrow. They're back at Pfizer Forum taking on Seton Hall. Seton Hall pretty good this year, 13-7, and 6-3 and three in the Big East. So they're right with Marquette in the same spot in the Big East standings. That'll be a noon tip time. That's also on FS1. FS1, 7 o'clock tonight, Badgers. FS1 tomorrow noon for the Marquette Seton Hall tip. That'll do it for us here. We got some content. We threw out some crazy airbrained ideas about Bill Belichick taking the head coaching job in Green Bay and Matt LaFleur becoming the OC and Bill Belichick running the defense. I don't think it's that insane. It's not going to happen, but it's not that insane. I was worried about content for today, but we were able to navigate our way through it with some Euchre calls and a lot of fun stuff of the Super Bowl 31 championship team. We'll get back after it on Monday. We'll have the Super Bowl matchup by then. Maybe we'll have seen Doc as the head coach for Milwaukee at that point. We can discuss that. We'll get after it on Monday at 6 a.m. Have a happy, safe weekend at 6 a.m. I was just doing a morning show outro there. We'll get back after it Monday morning. Podcast will be up by 11 a.m. Unless you join us in the B93 morning show. You can download the app and stream it if you care to. Have a happy, safe weekend. We'll chat with you then.